Would you stand with me, please? As Jason and Gwen come this morning, come on up to read our scripture for us. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For all, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Amen. Thank you, Jason. Gwen, you may be seated. It was back in the 1800s in the African nation of Rwanda that Christian missionaries finally began to make some inroads into that small nation. They translated the Bible into local tribal languages. They built churches, schools, orphanages, and hospitals. Over a few decades, there were many revivals that happened from town to town, village to village, and hundreds of thousands of Rwandans came to Christ. By 1990, it was estimated that 85% of the nation of Rwanda called themselves Christian, having turned away from their ancient tribal ancestral religions and, and prayer lives and given their hearts to the Lord, calling each other brothers and sisters in Christ. But many of you will remember April 6, 1994, when the Rwandan president's plane was shot down around Kigali Airport and the civil unrest that began eventually became a, a full-scale civil war. And the majority Hutu people began slaughtering the minority Tutsi people. The Rwandan genocide that happened over a period of 100 days claimed around 1 million lives. And what happened in the midst of that was that even though most of these people would have called themselves brothers and sisters in Christ, for whatever reason, either because it had not been taught to them adequately or because they had forgotten, 
their old tribal identities came to the forefront and their shared identity in Christ was subverted and literally you had brother against brother sister against sister calling themselves Christians and then murdering each other because of their bloodlines and their family lines it's a stark reminder that all of us must heed of where it is that we as Christians as followers of Christ find our identity our identity is in Christ our identification with Christ is in his death and if we truly call ourselves Christians disciples the people of God then our identity in Christ always rises above any other allegiance any other alliance any other identity our identity in Christ our identification with his death is never subver subverted to anything else it's never subverted to another group to another party to a voting block even to our own family if we truly are the people of God in Jesus Christ then our identification with him and our identification with his death and the advancement of his kingdom is supreme it rules over all and today we have the opportunity to come together as an act of unity we're going to hold up two symbols in just a minute and we're going to remember that it is Christ's death that unites us. It is our identity in Christ that makes us brothers and sisters. And there is nothing and no one else more important than that. So these symbols that we will take today are a reminder of Christ's death, but they're also a tangible reminder of the unity that we share together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And Another thing that unifies Christians so well, but besides our symbols, is our music. And I've chosen today two texts that I'm really not going to teach in detail, but we're just going to let these two texts guide us as we step into our time of observing the Lord's Supper together. And I've called these two texts the Christ hymns, because if you dig a little bit deeper into your scripture and into the history of scripture, you'll find that definitely with Philippians 2, but very likely with Colossians 1 that those short little texts that Jace and Gwen read to us were actually hymns that the early Christians would sing as a part of their worship. In fact, if you look at these two texts within the context of Colossians and Philippians, they really stand out. Some of your Bibles will even have them pictured in meter kind of language so that it looks like a psalm. It, it looks like a song. Their language, the, the theology that it describes, the way that it's written, they, they stand out in the midst of the text. And some scholars are not actually sure that Paul wrote these hymns, but instead that maybe they were already singing them by the time he wrote these letters. And Paul simply included early Christian hymns that were already known in the letter. In any case, we can say that the Holy Spirit inspired these words, and the Holy Spirit led Paul to write them down for us. And just like the symbols of the bread and the cup, I hope you will find this morning that these two passages remind us that Christ is the center of our being as his people, and that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we find a unity in him that rises above anything and everything else two things we will consider today as a part of our taking the lord's supper together and looking at these two christ hymns first of all how christ's 
death affects our relationship with God. That because of Christ's death, we now have access to God. We have a a way to relate to God through reconciliation that was not there before Christ gave his life for us. We also are going to talk about how Christ's death affects our relationships with each other. And out of our Christian unity, how Christ's death affects our relationships with others who aren't even a part of our community. And these two texts will guide us forward. First of all, that Christ's death affects our relationship with God. Colossians 1 describes this so well. That the story of the Christ did not begin with Jesus of Nazareth. Nor did it begin with Gabriel's announcement to the Virgin Mary. This hymn reminds us that the Son is the firstborn over all creation. As the Gospel of John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God in the beginning, and the Word was God in the beginning. The Son is the image of the invisible God. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Indeed, there is nothing that escapes His sight, and there is nothing that is outside of His control. As each day we see more and more examples that human leaders and human systems will fail us, Christ is above all, and Christ is over all. Whether thrones or powers, or rulers, or authorities. All things have been created through him, and all things have been created for him. And this is good news for us. In a world that seems so chaotic and unstable at every turn, that he is before all things, and in him, in Christ, all things hold together. Jesus Christ literally holds together all that exists. As one scholar wrote, without him, the planets would not stay in their orbits. Gravity would not work. Electrons would not continue to circle nuclei. If he lets go, it all falls apart. But praise be to God in Jesus Christ. He has not let go, and he will not let go. His promises that he's made to us will fulfill to the end. They will be fulfilled to the end. In him, all things are held together. All things consist. And because of that, he is head of the body, the church. And Christ has chosen us for whatever reason. He's chosen us, the church, to be his ambassadors to everything and everyone else he has created. He's given us the responsibility. He has commissioned us. He has sent us that we are his image bearers and we bear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ has not chosen anything else in all of the universe besides the church to share verbally the message of the gospel. He's not chosen the cosmos. He's not chosen the earth He's not chosen animals or microorganisms, though we certainly can see his handiwork and his glory in all he has created. He's given the message of the good news of the gospel to the church that we carry it forward. He has chosen the church. He has not chosen politicians, pundits, or celebrities. He's chosen us 
and commissioned us as the church to bear the good news of his salvation. And we're also reminded that, as Paul said to the Athenians in Greece, we are his offspring. We are part of God's own family through Jesus Christ. We are no longer outsiders, and we are no longer slaves. We are God's people. We are God's children, adopted as sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And we call him the King of Kings because... As the hymn in Colossians says, he is the beginning and he is the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. This word for supremacy in Greek means that Christ has the absolute final power and authority over everyone and everything else in all of creation. He is first place in everything and God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, to dwell in Christ. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that glory of God literally put on flesh and blood and walked among us here on the earth. Yet as the Christ him in Philippians reminds us in Jesus humanity was not just given a little part of God but God's full essence was Jesus Christ Christ Jesus who being in very nature God put God's full essence and God's complete character on display for us and yet Jesus did not use his divinity for his own human personal gain. He did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. But rather, he made himself nothing. He emptied himself, taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, putting God's full divinity into the flesh and blood of a human being so that he did not forfeit his nature or his divinity, but rather he gave up his rights. He set aside his status. He forfeited his privilege so that he might dwell among us, lowering himself to, to meet us where we are. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, he became poor for your sake so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient in all things, including to death, even death on a cross. Back to the hymn in Colossians 1. It was God's will through Christ and through the cross to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, everything in all of the created universe reconciled, redeemed back to God in Jesus Christ. And why was there a need to reconcile? Well, that word simply means that things were wrong and God made them right. Our relationship with God was broken because of the sins of human beings and also because of our own sins. And yet using the language of a marriage relationship 
It was not the bride who took the initiative to make things back, make things right. But it was Jesus Christ, it was God himself, who took the initiative through the cross to make things right between humanity and God, to reconcile all things to himself. Christ took the initiative to restore that which had been torn down. And how did he reconcile us? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So as our deacons prepare for our time of taking the Lord's Supper together, I want those words to resonate with us, to resound throughout the room that he made peace with us, he reconciled us through his blood shed on the cross. And as we take the Lord's Supper, communion together. Some of you may have grown up calling this the Eucharist. As we observe our remembrance of Christ's death using these two symbols this morning, I want you to remember that these symbols represent the peace that we have with God, that, that Christ's death affects our relationship with God. He has made a way that we can be right with Him. And as we're preparing for this time, I also want you to remember that Christ's death makes it possible that we can speak to God directly. We don't have to go through a priest. We can literally speak to the creator of the universe, and because of what Christ has done, he hears us, he receives our prayers, and we can also ask the creator of the universe to speak to us, and if we listen, he will speak directly to us. And so as we prepare our hearts to come to this table I want to make sure we come to this table in the right way and I want to ask you for just a moment to bow your heads with me and together I want us to just spend some time talking to and listening to our God that he would create in our hearts a fertile soil that these symbols would take root in our hearts and have deep meaning for us today but also perhaps you would need to pray a prayer like David prayed in Psalm 139. Before you come to this table, perhaps you need to say, God, search my heart. Search me and know me. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me forward in the everlasting way. Maybe today there is something you need to confess, something you need to give over to God, something that you're holding on to that you need to hand over to him, or maybe just in this moment of silence that we'll take for just a moment. You want to just take that listening posture and say, Lord, speak to me. Show me anything I need to see, anything I need to know. But before we come to the table, before we, we observe the elements together, I want you to join me. Let's take a moment of silence and let's ask the Lord to prepare our hearts to receive the symbols. thank you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that you invite us to your table that your table is a, a table of welcome for us even though we are sinners 
that Lord if we simply seek you with our heart today you open this table you welcome us whether we are man or woman boy or girl rich or poor doesn't matter Lord you simply say come and we we are honored to be able to come to your table today to take these symbols and to remember your body given for us your blood that was shed to make things right to to provide atonement and forgiveness and cleansing from our unrighteousness so lord we pray that this would be a time of worship but it would not be a time of ritual it would be a time of remembrance it it would be a time as we go into a week of thanksgiving of thankfulness for jesus christ above anything else and lord that you would lead us in this time and that what we do here as an act of worship would glorify your name and i pray this in jesus name amen i want you to know as our ushers go ahead and prepare to serve the bread this is an open table okay so you don't have to be a member of our church you don't even have to be a baptist to take the bread in the cup today all we ask is that if you have confessed jesus christ as your lord and savior and been baptized that that then you participate if we have some boys and girls here who have not yet been baptized and they have some questions about this i'm extending an offer today i've never done this before i had five kids come up in the first service after church not now after church boys and girls you're welcome to come up if you're not taking the lord's supper today come up and i'll talk to you more about what the bread and cup mean and 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 talk to you about what that will look like in the future for you i want you to know we'll do that after worship but for now as our our deacons are, are ready to serve deacons serve the bread to the people
was on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He sat around the table, even with Judas Iscariot, who would betray him sitting there. He took bread, and he said, From now on, whenever you take the bread, this is a symbol of my body, which is given for you. So do this in remembrance of me. And just as Christ's disciples did then, we as the disciples of Christ now take the bread together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your body which was given for us. We thank you that you gave it willingly. It was not taken from you. But you did it for our good. You did it so that we might be made right with God. You did it so that we might be your family. Thank you, Lord, for your body given for us. And thank you also for your blood which was shed on the cross. The new covenant, the new promise that we belong to you because of what Christ has done. Deacons, please serve the cup.
that first Last Supper, after dinner, Jesus took the cup, which was probably the common cup of the table. And he said, this also has new meaning for you. From now on, when you drink the cup, you're going to remember a new covenant, a new promise that has been sealed with my blood. As the Apostle Paul wrote, we remember these symbols. We remember Christ's death through these symbols all the way until he comes again. So just as the disciples did then, we as the disciples now in remembrance of him take the cup together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that through your blood you have provided forgiveness and atonement for our sins. It is our shared confession that only in Christ, though we are all sinners, are we made right with God. Lord, we thank you for the cup and we thank you for both of these symbols, the reminders of your death. May we be faithful to proclaim your death until you come again. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to remember with me for just a moment what things were like without Christ before the peace that he made through the giving of his body and the shedding of his blood on the cross. Together, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have gone from being alienated to being reconciled. We've gone from being a stranger to sharing in God's inheritance. We've gone from hostile in mind and practicing evil deeds to holy and righteous before him. He's taken us from a path towards death and destruction. And he's rescued us from darkness and put us on a path of light through his kingdom. We've gone from separation from God to peace with God. Christ's death affects our relationship with God, but it also affects our relationship with each other. When we use these two symbols, they are symbols of unity. And I always love to remind us that it doesn't matter what church you walk into. You could be in a worship center like this. You could go to a house church in East Asia. You could go worship in a mud hut in Djibouti. Wherever you go, if you find a Christian worship center and you see these two symbols come out, it doesn't matter what language is being spoken. You know what they mean. We know what they mean because they are symbols of unity. They remind us of Christ's death. And we are one in Christ Jesus, united in our commitment to his eternal kingdom above any other through his death and through his resurrection. So we close with the, the Christ hymn in Philippians. Remember the lead-in. Paul said be, before the hymn began, this is, is how you're supposed to live in your relationships with one another. That we are to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But rather he did make himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant. He was made in human likeness. And as Christ modeled perfect love and service through his life. So also he did through his death for us. And we follow his example as disciples who love and serve each other in Christ's name, and who love and serve others in Christ's name.
Believing that being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that Christ's death transformed the cross itself as a symbol. From a symbol of shame and hate to a symbol of love and hope. And just as Christ redeemed the cross, so by the cross he redeemed us. And we, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our unity, our identity rests in him. But of course, the story did not end there. Because when folks showed up to the tomb after Christ's death to prepare his body, there was no body to be found. But Christ was raised. He raised from the dead. The grave could not hold him. The curse of sin and death no longer stand for those who follow and belong to Jesus Christ. God has exalted him to the highest place. He's given him the name that is above every name. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. None will miss out. Every single knee at some point will bow. And every single tongue at some point will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is our confession. This is the risen Christ we serve and listen to me, brothers and sisters. His promises to us still stand. And today we give thanks for his death because he is our Savior. I want you to bow your heads one more time as we have our time of invitation and response. And I want you to think about that word Savior in three simple ways. First, we we come to a point where we realize I need a Savior. I need a Savior because I am lost on my own. But I want you to drill down deeper than that. You don't just need a Savior. I want you to know and believe I need the Savior who is Jesus Christ. But I want you to drill down even more personally than that. I don't just need a Savior. I don't just need the Savior, Jesus. I need my Savior. I need Jesus Christ to be my Lord and King. And I just want to invite you as we have this time of invitation. If you've never for the first time said Jesus is my Lord and Savior, this is an opportunity for you to step out and to come to Christ today. To come down and to make that confession, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and to make it public so that others will know. For those of us who have made Jesus Lord and Savior of our lives, I wonder if some of us might not say today, though, I've not been living like it. I've been living like I'm Lord, like I'm in charge. I've been living for my glory, not for His. Would you take these remaining moments we have together as an opportunity simply to reaffirm your commitment to say to Jesus Christ, you are Lord, you are Savior, you are King of my life. And to join in a shared commitment that we all ought to have as brothers and sisters united in Christ, that as we walk out of here today, what we do in life is for his glory and not our own. For these last minutes remaining together, join me as we pray. And Lord, we ask that you would just prepare our hearts, that you would meet us where we are, speak to us, and that you would lead us forward in the everlasting way. In Jesus' name, amen.